Hello, and you are very warmly welcomed back to the Exchanges Discourse podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Gareth J. Johnson. We are a companion podcast to the Interdisciplinary Exchanges Journal, which is published at the University of Warwick by the Institute of Advanced Study. In each episode, we often talk to authors who've published with their journals about their research, their academic publication experiences, and of course, we also seek to get advice for new authors from them too. Some more episodes have focused in as well on developments at the journal, as well as advice on publishing with us. Today, though, I am very excited to say we have a number of guests joining me to have a discussion about something which, of course, um, is important to the journal, and that is, of course, interdisciplinary publishing. So, let's introduce my guests. Well, welcome listeners. And this episode, I'm actually joined by a number of guests who've already had the pleasure of publishing with exchanges. And we're going to be talking about the art, science, and perhaps everything in between about uh, interdisciplinary academic publishing. And so I'm going to go around each of my guests in turn and get them just introduce themselves briefly. You've probably heard their voices before on the podcast, but let's hear them again. Yeah, hello, everyone. Um, I'm Alina Tsichelewski. I work as an academic writing instructor at the University of Bremen in Germany, and I also teach at the Institute of English and American Studies at the University of Oldenburg in Germany as well. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to all of you. Brilliant. Hi there, uh, I'm Sharon Colcliffe. I am on the, on the topic of interdisciplinarity, I am currently a film and sound design senior lecturer. Um, however, I am soon to be moving to game sound in a different department. So, so on the topic of interdisciplinarity, I'm already interdisciplining. Thank you very much. <laughs> Fantastic. Hello, um, my name is Kwasu David Tembo. I am a full-time lecturer in the humanities and social sciences department at Ashesi University in Accra, Ghana, where I currently reside. Um, I also serve as the uh, director of the writing center there, so kind of dual capacity. Um, but it's a pleasure to meet everybody and I uh, look forward to having a chat, yeah. Fantastic. My name is Huayi and uh, I'm a research fellow at the University of Edinburgh, uh, where I do research and teaching at the moment. Well, fantastic. Well, you're all very welcome today. So as I said, what we're going to talk about today is, well, interdisciplinarity. It's the heart of what Exchanges does. And so my question to my you know, wonderful panel of experts we've got here today, when I say interdisciplinary, what, what does that actually mean to you? No one wants to speak, so I'll say. I think we're all being really polite because we're all trying not to speak over each other, even though um, <laughs> Gaz told us we could all completely speak over each other. But we're all we've all been trained, haven't we, uh, for teams meetings and such that we don't we don't talk over each other, and we have to put our hands up to speak. Um, so I'll I'll start because just just to break the ice. Um, so for me, interdisciplinarity is very much the idea of kind of bringing what your specialism is to perhaps a different area of research um, and a different a different area that obviously interests you but also that that gives some scope to start talking about what you do as part of it so um i can offer an example from some stuff i'm working on at the moment and it might make people laugh or it might make people kind of go oh 
interesting. Um, so I'm I'm currently working on a book uh, which sort of sits quite strongly in the death studies realm of things, which is an area that I'm really, really interested in, but I fell into it um, by writing a piece for a journal, not exchanges in this case, but but for a journal, where the person who was editing was just like, you like the same things I do, We're, we like the same TV shows, and you're talking about these TV shows that no one else is talking about, and so we, we started a conversation, and now I'm working with those guys on a, a very interdisciplinary book that deals with how we look at death, the dying, the dead in different media game, different iterations of it in, in historical fiction and things like that. So I think it's that kind of that link of what you're really interested in and how it finds a home maybe within a different different area. So that I'll kick off with that. Thanks. Thanks, Sharon. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll try to be brief. I, I, I appreciate Sharon. Um, in so many ways, kind of centralizing this idea of interdisciplinarity in and around interest, um, because I do think that when it comes to interdisciplinary debates, issues, discussions, tensions and the like, there is a kind of shadow or specter of certain things like uh, elitism, uh, certain ideas pertaining to access of certain types of information, the hierarchizing of information as well, or knowledge, um, what it means to pursue within your own, I suppose, tributary of a greater reservoir of knowledge. but how how often can you do that? How do other um, duties and responsibilities or seemingly more important ideas take precedence over your own interests? So I appreciate interest being sort of taken as a as an introductory bedrock. Um, for uh, speaking of books, not a shameless plug. It's not written yet. I'm currently writing it now. Um, I, I'm working on a book about time travel, uh, specifically the relationship between time travel, 20th and 21st century time travel cinema, which is pretty niche, but and then this idea of how that relates to trauma, time and trauma, ultimately using 20th and 21st century time travel cinema as a, as a bunch of case studies. And it just takes you in so many different directions thinking about these kind of open questions. Um, it takes you into psychology, takes you into film studies, film analysis. It takes you into philosophy of time, the sort of mechanics of time. So I, I, your interest, if followed, as much as you can and honestly will take you in so many different directions, I think, as a default. Elena, you had anything to chip in there on it? So I um, also very much agree with what Sharon and Krasu have said um, about the idea like um, letting your, your interest or your passion for a certain topic lead you into different directions and see how it connects to different disciplines. And um, yeah, I wanted to draw attention to the forthcoming issue of Exchanges Journal, um, where there will be a special issue on the Anthropocene and the modern human world. And uh, together with Gas, we had some really great workshops on um, really on that broader topic of the Anthropocene. And it was really cool how many like, scholars from different disciplines were, were present. And um, thought it was really, um, really, I don't know, surprisingly productive for my own work to hear about their ideas and their topics even if it if it's something i have never really thought about like i don't know soil for example it uh hearing them talk about it and connecting it to like the broader question of the anthropocene made it made a really strong impression on me and also helped me to kind of um advance my own research in different directions just to add to that as well, building on that, I'm sure it'll be a fascinating uh, forthcoming issue on the Anthropocene that we're all in at the moment. And I guess it makes me think of um, sort of part of a few years back now, 
because uh, like my own PhD kind of experiences was essentially in a quite interdisciplinary field, at least at the time. Um, so who knows whether it'll become an actual discipline in, in the future. But, but but what I want to pick on um, pick up on today is that it feels like um, there's something around relationships that's really interesting to me, the idea of relationships and seeing the relationships across the various ideas and subjects that, that we're engaging with. And somehow that helps to like a focus on that for me at the present helps to be a bit more interdisciplinary um, uh, as opposed to not whatever that that might mean. Um, so yeah, I thought I'd sort of pick up on that uh, and relating to what you're saying about the tributaries and reservoirs, I really like that metaphor. Um, I think that's really, really nice way of thinking about these things. Uh, wonderful. Well, I mean, that's re it's really interesting. I mean, I, it, the reason I'd ask that question is because, you know, as an interdisciplinary journal, there's nowhere written down in our kind of operational agenda you know, about what is interdisciplinarity. And so it's very interesting to hear from four of our past authors, their sort of, you know, your different perceptions, but certainly I can see quite a bit of resonance there between what we've each, each been saying. I suppose the counter to that then is, is there anything then we think is explicitly not interdisciplinary these days? Or is everything drawing on the traditions and the mores and the practices and the methods and methodological approaches of different areas yeah so um just carrying on with the metaphor of the tributaries and reservoirs i think that's really one way of really helpfully clarifying that so for me certainly if i'm seeing kind of work that essentially doesn't because it's like rivers isn't it essentially water and rivers so work that essentially doesn't go beyond the banks of the river in, in that sort of metaphoric way of thinking about it then then that's a great indication of quite disciplinary, rather interdisciplinary work. Whereas if it's work that sort of evokes a sense that maybe there's like new tributaries or at least the banks are kind of being slightly um, fiddled around with or, or the soil is kind of going shifting here and there, something like that, um, then that indicates greater kind of range of interdisciplinary work, I think, for me. So. Very interested to hear what others think as well. You know, uh, um, and considering we have floods around here at the moment, then um, the metaphor of going over the banks is very relevant for me in a very personal way. <laughs> I think it's kind of interesting to, in, in this way, I think is kind of the subtext of the question that you put to us is, what are the limits mm. of um, what we consider to be a discipline to then be hybridized with another discipline? Where does the set of knowledge end or terminate? What does it foreclose? Um, and I'm, I am i was trained as a theoretician, so obviously it's very French, I guess, the, the way that I think about this. But I guess I, I tend to think about the opposite of interdisciplinary to be something maybe akin to the canonical, perhaps. Um, I just count, I, I, uh, I, I was reading around some ideas concerning time, weirdly enough, and it brought me to uh, Bloom's you know, famous or infamous um, epithet for thinkers that I was heavily influenced by as a sort of school of resentment, this idea of not being included or having access to this reservoir, which is kind of curtails, excludes to some to some degree or other, can be quite violent in that regard, um, but is over, overseen by people who are kind of the bastions of the reservoir. And I tend to think of that as a canon, but I do think that the nature of, if I can even say that, the nature of knowledge is to be quite mercurial. So I kind of think of it as a as a bad or cracked reservoir where things will always seep out and there's always things mixing within that body anyway. It's not stagnant. So the idea of a canon being pure 
as some kind of counter to interdisciplinary thinking or work, I think is kind of bankrupt to, to, to begin with. Um, but it still pervades, there's still elitism and so on and so forth that, and also a kind of expectation of what you quote unquote are supposed to be doing with your, your time and your thought and your effort. I can, without naming names, like when I was in a specific program at a specific time, there was a lot of, when I came to people and said, I, I want to write a PhD about Superman, I got kind of strange scant looks to, to say, well, we don't necessarily know. We have ostensibly the kind of, you could say, ethos of accepting or gazetting interdisciplinary studies, but we don't necessarily have the infrastructure apparatus to kind of allow you to do that. We don't really know where to put you, but we need to put you somewhere. So I thought to myself, you know, I, I didn't know whether I was a kind of nuisance. I didn't know whether I was free. It was it was a kind of weird experience. And I think there was also a, 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 a subtext or an energy that said you shouldn't be doing this. You know, you should be, you know, maybe focusing on something in Africana studies or you should be focusing on something that's more canonical um, to some degree or other. And I think, you know, different traditions, different times, it's it's slightly different. But I noticed these tensions in my own experience in my own reading. I was just going to chip in because the the stuff that you were saying, Quasi, was really resonating with me. So, I'm I'm starting to move into practice as research a little bit more. So, um, that that interdisciplinarity and that in between space that I talk about a lot with with my colleague um, Agatha, that this idea that, and and you were talking about kind of things being. Um, take it you know borders being put up and you shouldn't you shouldn't really kind of dip your toe over there because like you don't really know about that do you or oh you're a theorist so why are you thinking about making something like why why would you do that and that in between space i think is something that comes with interdisciplinarity it is that thing where and i use the word like gaz knows this i use the word dabble quite a lot and i don't mean it in a derogatory way i mean it as i'm really fascinated by all these different things and i i want to kind of like learn about them and i want to experience them and, and i'm not ever saying i'm an expert in them but i i want to ex i want i want some knowledge from this area and it doesn't mean that i have got all the answers in it, but I can then apply it over into my work because it's it's more interesting and it, it kind of brings this different dimension to it. And that in-between thing, and when we start talking about the in-between spaces, that's actually where the really interesting stuff starts to happen. So to take all these rivers and reservoirs and cracks and things, when stuff starts mixing together and intermingling, that's when you actually get some really exciting kind of different approaches and different ideas. And, you know, that that theory versus practice or, or science versus the arts, it, it's it's that space where we can start kind of going, actually, they can come together and make some really kind of interesting things. And, and we should be a little bit more open to having those discussions and, and a bit braver sometimes about having those discussions as well. So that there's my two penneth. But what Quasi was saying was was brilliant. It is that that taking away of those borders a little bit. It's really, really interesting. Thank you, Sharon. I also totally agree with uh, what Sharon and Quasi said. And I, I have the feeling that a lot, particularly a lot of younger colleagues are very open to, um, you know, going beyond what is conventionally known to be part of the territory. But um, the the problems they stumble upon then is that they do all this great work and then it's hard to find a publication platform because many, you know, the publication platforms you want to get into because they are, they are prestigious and stuff, they tend to be very, uh, very much, have a very close focus and are not necessarily open to interdisciplinary work. But I'm also feeling that it's starting to shift, like um, in the 
previous years, I've seen many kind of interdisciplinary handbooks and introductions to um, stuff like the environmental humanities and where really different scholars come together. So I still, I have a bit of hope for the future that it will get easier for people working interdisciplinarily to get their stuff published in prestigious outlets. Thank you all for her again. I mean, I've got, I've been sort of writing notes from going through and I've got, you know, words like, you know, going, going beyond new spaces, uh, dabbling, you know, river, river banks and then a small caption, uh, caption of someone drowning. I think I've got there slightly. But I think what interests me there in, the, in those discussions in, and partly again, reflecting back on exchanges, you know, I think one of the advantages for us as a journalist, we've never tried to define this. We've never tried to say, you know, this is what we expect interdisciplinary work is because i feel that would be limiting because we would then be saying to many of our authors well of course you know, what you're doing isn't interdisciplinary i have a very catholic understanding of you know if, if someone you, know, you want it's about the audience for me it's about speaking to these broader audience now that's of course as a journal publisher that's kind of my perspective isn't it more than a, perhaps a practicing researcher so but but thinking about publications for a moment though i mean you know we've We've kind of gone through the sort of some of the thoughts behind interdisciplinarity. What do you think audiences want to see? And I'm I'm using the word audience there rather than reader because when we are talking about interdisciplinary work, I think we're, we're trying to reach out to more than just the academic community. We're trying to reach you know members of the general public in some cases as well. We're trying to influence politicians. We're trying to you know uh, reach people in the business community. But what do you think these broad audiences want to see when they hear about something that's an interdisciplinary article? What do you think their preconceptions might be? I just wish I'd meet, met all these friends earlier, actually, because such a stimulating conversation with lots of insights and, and useful thoughts. Um, I suppose what it makes me think of, I'll sort of kick off and pass on. Um, I recently sort of was talking um, just in conversation and they came up and it came up in the conversation and what do you do and like part of what I do is I teach research methods and, and colleagues do do that as a thing in academia but but then the thought was like it's really weird like right I mean research methods and methods of learning and like you teach them and it's kind of codified and academically it's all fine but to somebody who's not like immersed in that it's a bit weird isn't it that the idea that this kind of defined um, regulated, um, correct methods of learning and incorrect methods of learning, right? As an opener, it's quite quite strange. So that's kind of part of the puzzle, I think, for me. And then the sort of publication aspect, um, it strikes me as we're talking that actually there's a great synergy between the open access movement and, and kind of seeing disciplines as a means to an end rather than as an end to themselves. So to the everyday person on the street who literally just wants to know a bit more about whatever it is they want to know um, across the vast swathes of knowledge that we have, then surely, like, it's not bad, right? They'd probably rather read something a bit more like discipline agnostic, if you like, than something deeply embedded in, in like, as Elena was saying, like one of these really kind of um, <laughs> really canonical um, and, and kind of this then links to the access for me, which 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 quasi really helpfully um, stimulated the conversation with. So it feels like those things are kind of all somehow bound together in a in an interesting way um, in the publication space. Um, and I, I obviously um, welcome further work with exchanges to to kind of explore that, for example. But um, it, it's really stimulating. Um, so yeah, I'll pass on. <laughs> I could uh, take a, a a brief. So many great things have been said. Um, I don't want to. I, I want to try to keep my comments 
pithy as much as I can. But I really <laughs> like this idea of, uh, uh, we could even call it an ethic of dabbling, because I think that, in, at least to my mind, it draws forward a, a, a quite simple binary. Because on the one hand, when people dabble, I mean, the connotations of that term are, are pejorative more, more often than not. It, it, I think it's always kind of circumscribed with this sort of idea of the dilettante or somebody being quite dilettantish, quite in a way picky, quite not rigorous. Um, but at the same time, I think about, you know, the polymaths of the 17th, 18th century who are so heavily involved in so many different things all at once um, with as much, you know, will, rigor and vigor that they could bring to these things. But they were so diffuse. Um, I think of Newton. I think of Newton, the occultist like Newton the mage, as opposed to Newton, the gravitational scientist, the latter being an accident of the former. So this idea of of something being dilettante as, 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 a, as a kind of critique, I think, in, I think it fails. I think there's so many examples in the Western canon, the global canon, everywhere that kind of, I think, disprove it or certainly challenge it. Um, but I also think about questions of access, things about platforming as well. So I read a lot of material from science communicators the kind of, you could call them children of Sagan, you know, uh, Kaku, Brian Greene, Carol, DeGrasse Tyson, Susskind to a degree, but he seems more serious. And again, these distinctions, in so many ways, it's how they're reported on, but they try their best to kind of take quite serious and advanced cosmological principles and communicate them to the public. So I think the underlying ethos there is to try and get it out as opposed to sort of how to, to to try and sort of put it or make it subscribe to a particular format, but try to get the sort of the intuitions, which is what I'm looking to understand, which I can then apply in my own fields or, uh, or in my own work. But if I can comprehend the, the intuition kind of independent of the like requisite math, I think you've done something quite awesome to try and communicate intuitions. And I, I in, 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 a, in a professional sense or an academic sense, I kind of like um, themed issues of things, where it's a, a general idea, but they welcome a variety of approaches to kind of a specific or semi-specific idea. I find that to be uh, quite enjoyable. But then, of course, that, you know, begs the question, how do you determine what sort of central topic you pick and so on? But it, just in terms of a format, I like a sort of a special issue, let's say. So you can you can build on on um, what Kwasu said about this, this idea of kind of taking something and making it more yeah, and the understandable science, especially because obviously I'm not a scientist, so I, I need it to be made understandable for me. But I think it's about readability and, and that's a movement as well that's starting to come into academic writing, at least my academic writing, because what I hear a lot, I, you, you guys probably hear something similar from your students. And, and I know it for myself that there, there's sort of a past um, approach of it has to be almost unreadable for it to be academic academic it has to be you know we have to have every big word possible in there and ah oh, you need a thesaurus to kind of make it out and and that puts a lot of people off reading anything that is remotely academic and i can say that for my students that they they sort of come to i'll give them something to read and uh, or they'll find something and say oh, i i couldn't really i couldn't understand it and then they feel silly because they couldn't understand it and because there were some terms in there that they they couldn't get on with so i think interdisciplinary writing and and approaches like exchanges because it i was going to say it goes with a theme so i was in in the nerds uh, theme but it brought up all of these different like you know it, it, 
expressions of where do we go with this thing mine ended up looking at you know the experience of being othered in in france so it was that was not where i thought i was going with that but that's where i ended up going and researching into algerian history because why not and it's it's very much that interdisciplinary kind of offers that readability it offers again i love that you've made dabbling sound really great quasi i'm i'm that because i do i dabble but it, it's to make it sort of more approachable you you there's something you know a little bit about here's another little bit of something that you can also think about as well and it makes it readable and friendly and accessible and then sort of maybe then passes you on to the next person that is a little bit more difficult to understand perhaps and, and introduces you a little bit more kind of slowly perhaps to new ideas rather than dumping you into a book with lots of lots of kind of academic discourse around it so yeah that's that's probably i'm, I'm just backing everyone up that's all i do that's, that's really interesting sharon because that kind of resonates with my own experiences back at the beginning of my own phd where i was starting to delve into totally new academic discipline <coughs> and every book i picked up i just looked at and went how do i even start where's the portal to get me into just enough to understand the rest of this book and that, yeah that was that was the first very frustrating six months trying to get to that point so yeah readability approachability yes absolutely elena obviously you know as, as someone who teaches writing i guess you've got plenty to say yeah. here. <laughs> so for me as as an author it can also be quite challenging to write for an interdisciplinary audience because it's it's really hard for me to tell what kind of knowledge i can assume they already have and when i'm writing for like specialist publications it's kind of clear that the readers will be familiar with certain concepts or at least willing to look them up on their own but when you're writing for an interdisciplinary audience you really need to make clear how what you're writing is is useful uh, for them to actually motivate them to read your article because like when you're writing for a magazine that's directed towards literary scholars you don't need to convince them that it's interesting to look at literature obviously because you can just assume they do and for an interdisciplinary audience you need to make a lot of things very clear and i think it also challenges you to to structure your texts more clearly to have less you know less digressions and go like really straight to the point uh, um very clear structure that makes it easier for the readers also to follow along um your line of argumentation and that's also something I try to teach in my academic writing classes to have a clear structure, know what you want to say, and then um, stick to your plan, basically. Thank you, Elena. Well, again, I've been, you know, jotting out, you know, work, keywords down there, you know, agnosticism, um, communicators, readability, getting it out there, the non limit of the knowledge of the readership. And I think that's, that is really true. And it's something I, we do look at again and again with articles we have for exchanges when you have someone who starts at that interesting but just perhaps a little too high a level for at least what we envisage our reason not anyway so, so all really interesting points so thank you folks for that just talking practically because you know you've all written for us and you you're all writing for other interdisciplinary outlets i mean how do you practically go about crafting something from your own discipline into an academic voice interdisciplinary academic voice i should say well, I think for me, I already try to do readable. Um, I find that really important. Like for me, it's really, really important. So I, I want stuff that I read to be readable. And as I've said, I think there's a 
there's a move more towards that readability factor and, and kind of getting on board with the idea that even if it's an academic book, it's it's not necessarily only directed at an academic audience. You're you're hoping for wider audiences and that other people will pick it up and, and engage with it and kind of do things with it, um, which is kind of part of probably why we're on this podcast mm. maybe today. There's there's a lot in, in sort of academic literature, uh, publishing and, and writing and things like that, where when you're when you're doing your proposal or you're working with a publisher or an editor they're asking you well so how are you going to get this book out there and who do you see as this audience and how are you going to communicate with them and part of it is through things like podcasts and kind of giving a bit more of a in inverted commas human voice to some of the academic thoughts that are kind of going on because again it's we're all here because well i'm here because i don't stop talking as everyone's finding out now um Gaz told me at the very start, you're here because you talk a lot, and I, indeed I do. Um, but, you, you, but you are aware I'm not criticising from a higher plateau, aren't you, Sharon? On that, <laughs> I know we both talk too much. But but part of it is like that that human touch, that kind of um, explanation that you're you're not in your little sort of use the term ivory tower, not communicating with anyone. You just kind of put your discourse out there, and three people read it. The whole point of writing anything is that people actually engage with it and read it. And if you're creating stuff where that's not happening, then yeah, I mean, there's value to that, obviously, and it always has been. But but you know, personally, I'd rather more people read what I wrote than just just three people in the world ever um and and i think things like this are part of it sort of having having that this is this is just more um, accessible approachable you can have some people i'm, I'm learning loads I, I really want to talk to these people outside of this forum um but i'm learning loads and and it's that idea of of the back and forth and things that can happen so where interdisciplinary writing comes from and two is is that approachability and that approachable voice i think i don't know what other guys think but yeah i think there was i i'm trying to keep i take maybe perhaps far too many notes in general but i've just been taking notes as we've, we've been going along and there's a lot of things i mean if i if i um if i was being candid uh, in so far as trying to respond to your question about how i, I approach in my own work mm -hmm. i always find that i'm in this kind of central tension that always is is is, is always a, a specter uh in every every attempt that i make to try and sort of you know put something out there in the world and it's this tension between i i used this term earlier intuition and i guess technique perhaps or intuition and uh form format or even just style really because I'm thinking I've been reading a lot of Heidegger and Heidegger is so jargony. It's, 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 it's in so many ways, two languages at once. It's, it's, it's his native German and his interpretation of his native German to sort of speak about intuitions that I think a lot of people could understand and find interesting things like care, things like being things like time, things like authenticity. Um, but the manner in which it's presented, the, 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 the jargon or the the sort of disciplinary formatting and and idiosyncrasies can be prohibitive, confusing, but also rich at the same time. Some of the words in and of themselves, just connected to these intuitions, can be so well, just awesome. I think it's they can be quite magical in a sense. Um, so I always find them in this tension between how much of that do I deploy in its kind of raw form, how much of it do I uh, reinterpret. Or, or interpret differently or transliterate in some form that I, I think it makes it more communicable uh, and it makes it more resonant 
uh, perhaps wide reaching, but still kind of used in a way that I kind of learned what it meant, but through my own experience, if that makes sense. I was going to say, Chrissy, I mean, very much so. I mean, I think, you know, th th this is true of any good writer um, writing something fresh. You know, you're, you're not just sharing what you've read about, you're sharing your interpretation, your reinterpretation, you know, in many, many respects, explaining it perhaps better than maybe the original <laughs> writer has explained it. No, I like that. I mean, that there's always there's always an opportunity in an interdisciplinary framework to have these sort of serendipitous moments of accidents and admixture and surprise that you could find that it, just thinking about a specific topic that might be housed in a very tight canon in an interdisciplinary, you open it up in ways that it itself couldn't do for itself. That's always possible. And I think that's fascinatingly exciting because it's always it, it's it, you the enterprise cannot exhaust what it can discover in an interdisciplinary frame. You never arrive at the end of knowledge. You know, there's always opportunities to mix it with other things, to refract it in different ways, to pull out a variety of different colors, shapes, ideas, concepts, and so on. So different formats, for example, um, like Sharon mentioned this podcast format. Oh, it's, it's, it's fascinating because I think a lot of people get their general knowledge from media platforms that are removed from text. Um, things like podcasts, things like video essays is something that I deal with a lot because I, I write about film a lot. And there's so many different types, approaches and levels, but they're so tremendously popular, I find, in so far as communicating ideas and criticism about media. But then on the flip side of that, there's always, you know, what distinguishes, I think, academic pursuits from a lot of others is this kind of process of vetting, this kind of, this kind of rigor of peer review, really, um, to kind of to kind of frame that particular product in a in a in a in a in a, in a different way, because sure anybody can jump up on YouTube and interpret Saving Private Ryan. They can break it down piece for piece, costumes, scene, lighting, mise en scène, all of that. But there could be certain things that somebody in a different discipline, for example, could challenge. You know, there's this this ideas of of. I mean, that happens with us, obviously, but this idea of a kind of process, perhaps. I love the idea of like trying to diversify the format as much as possible. I wonder how it might be possible to then diversify the process of vetting information to match. That's a really interesting question. We're going to come back to that, actually, in a few minutes. Kind of just building on that briefly, um, like it feels like um, maybe there's something interesting in the peer review process then, right, around this kind of interdisciplinary um, view on it because like what you're just saying is that sometimes these disciplinary um, contentions or differences or whatever comes out in in the engagement of different peers within the academy right belonging I guess in this case to different disciplines um, but but maybe there's something productive there is is what I'm saying to to be made of that process I suppose mm, absolutely Elena can I ask you a question guys Go on then, yes. It's, it's, it's a two-way process, this is course. Um, so I was wondering, oh, I could imagine that it's really hard to find peer reviewers for interdisciplinary articles because people, you know, tend to be peer reviewers for something they're already pretty familiar with. And yeah, I was wondering whether you have any any thoughts on that and how you go about the process of finding peer reviewers for exchanges? It's a really interesting question. It is one that does vex us because Absolutely, as you say, so many people, and you ask them to review something, and that is clearly crossing the boundaries of disciplines within its writing, will come back and say, well, of course, you know, this is clearly fusing English history and quantum chemistry. And I'm a you know historian, so I, I feel like I'm not qualified to comment on all of it. 
Uh, my advice often is to say, well, you know, just comment on as much as you can, and we will find additional reviewers over and above this from each of these different disciplines in order to give us as the editors, because since we're an editor-mediated journal, the best possible idea of the quality of the paper so we can then communicate back to the author whether it needs augmentation revisions etc but i think i think it is really challenging i mean i uh, <laughs> i say that practically because i know it is but i also know when i'm asked to review things as a reviewer because i'm i am probably a little interdisciplinary in my own background that i get asked for lots of different things and sometimes i do look and go oh, this just veers too far away from what i feel is my own corpus of knowledge that I could make comments on it but I don't feel they will be substantive I don't feel I could feel I would want to say to the peer say well this, this you should publish as you shouldn't publish it based on my understanding now is that as an academic recognizing the limits of my knowledge where perhaps those in the more public sphere don't perhaps recognize that there are limits to their knowledge and are willing to sort of stand down and get uh, it's the old saying of uh, you know uh, the admission of ignorance is the beginning of wisdom is one I've always uh, sort of held, held that part of my own sort of practice. Knowing what I don't know, I think is important to know what I, I do know. That's a very long answer to a question which I think was is really good. And I, I'd love like to reflect it back onto the panel. I mean, have you any thoughts about the whole art and science of reviewing interdisciplinary articles? Just to, I actually wanted to follow up with a follow up question, so I'll just kind of continue. <laughs> you, you can you can decide to engage or not. But um, like building on the question of reviewing interdisciplinary contributions, what strikes me as we were talking just now is that there's a sort of analogy, right, um, in research methods terms. So sometimes you hear about the shortage of statisticians, for instance, mm. for certain bits of reviewing, and often methodologically, it's kind of codified in some journals as a as a thing. Um, you kind of this bit is for for statisticians to really engage with. Um, so I kind of wondered, like, um, and the question is, like, Gaz, in your experience, like, how much of of some of the challenges in getting reviewers is actually due to the interdisciplinary nature of the contribution itself or is kind of more just relating to the general um different interests that reviewer have if you like um because obviously you do get other articles where like you're saying sometimes you feel as a, as a reviewer that's just there's nothing really in it that that really speaks or connects enough mm. to your body of ex expertise at that time to really make a good job of it but then there's the interesting kind of really big middle ground right where there's like bits of it where you feel that you know I, I can definitely offer something useful to the colleague maybe there's other bits you think oh maybe some other colleagues might take care mm. of it so down those lines so I just wondered like the question as to in your experience how much of it is kind of due to that actual disciplinary agnostic or interdisciplinary mm. nature of the contribution itself that's a really interesting question and obviously I can only speak from kind of the exchanges perspective because that's the only side of which uh, I see in the journal community. What I hear from reviewers, it, uh, certainly when we ha they give us a reason mm. for declining, it tends to be exactly that, that idea of this is outside to a, a extreme, not related to my field. That is what I, I hear more than anything. Mm. But for those who don't respond and just decline, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've literally no idea. Yeah. And they're the, probably the bigger body of reviewers we approach in terms of those who don't engage with us, just those who literally let it drop. So for all I know, that is just simply levels of work, um, lack of interest, lack of time, etc. Yeah. Yeah. I know from my own perspective, again, um, 
when I, I get for some reason I get a lot of bibliometric related papers on and they seem to be on all sorts of topics. And I look at some of them and I go, well, I can comment on some of the bibliometric aspects of this, but the bulk of this paper is on health science. I'm not a health scientist. So in this case, I'm, I'm going to decline it. And I always, I'm, I'm, I always believe in telling the journal why I'm not going to review it. As a fellow editor, one feels it's a professional courtesy. <laughs> but at the, at the same time, I sometimes get papers, as you say, well, I look at it, as you just said, um, where I go, no, there's a lot of this I can comment on. Yeah, there's some statistical data in here. I'm not a statistician. I, I'm going to say in my review to the editor and my notes, say, look, I haven't looked at this bit critically because it's not my area of expertise. Please find a reviewer who is better, who's versed in this. But here's my comments on the bulk of the work in terms of the conclusions drawn, the introduction, the literature, review, the method, methodologies, approaches. And I'm always, maybe I'm reviewing it in an interdisciplinary way because I'm trying to say, look, as a re general academic reader, what can I get out of this paper? What value can I can I see in it? Even if that middle bit with all those numbers are just going to go straight over my head. My, my former science tutors probably, you know, rolling in their graves when I say things like that, but I, I don't consider myself versed well enough these days in mathematics to comment on those bits. Just to briefly build on that a bit more, because it's such a fascinating topic, um, and I'm going to sort of link it to an issue that for me is always a bit of a spectre in the way Kwasi was saying um, in, in producing some of this work or working in a more interdisciplinary way. So the issue of integration and knowledge integration, um, and here, I guess a question might be, you know, as a reviewer, surely, in some sense, surely it kind of improves the quality of the manuscript if the reviewer role is simply to judge the merits of the integration in a funny sort of way, because then that, that also means it places greater demands on transparency of the knowledge sharing for the bits to be integrated, right? And that links to some of the things we are speaking earlier on. And also then it connects to the accessibility aspect because it kind of demands, for example, just to pick on quantitative colleagues, but it applies in all technical subjects with the jargon. But, you know, say you see a bunch of statistics and it's in context of quite interdisciplinary paper, say in the context of some in, in important crucial Anthropocene topic, right, which you're in. Um, say that's the scenario and then you're kind of reviewing it and it's very difficult to imagine anybody would as this individual be like mastering all the bits re required to comment everything right so then the math comes in and then like if you're just judging the integration surely there'll be something that'll come out of the process when you sort of feel that you know i don't know what you really mean can you explain it in english because the text is primarily still delivered in english or, or the primary language um it just feels that integration is an interesting um topic at least to me in in some of this um and i'd love to ask colleagues if they're willing to share like what do you think of integration in your work just as a really open-ended question like how 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 does it work out for you and like what do you find good or bad about it or do you not like it or you know just whatever what what do you think of integration in the context of your own works if i could just comment on the previous question before the question that you asked about integration i'll try and answer that as well i always thought it was i mean going back to this reservoir metaphor you know reservoirs can fill and they can empty but it's always a question of an availability to fill a volume. So you, I think you could quite directly apply that to like a volume of uh, a publication, for example, because I always thought, and based on my experiences on with, with delays in publication, I, I understand that we are all swamped and inundated with a variety of duties, academic and non. But I thought beyond that, there's also a delay, I think perhaps that hinges upon the central availability of reviewers. I don't know what, you know, it's it's sometimes very 
opaque how many reviewers a particular publication have on tap to continue with this water metaphor uh, it's 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 you know how much of that is available to kind of nourish and then allow these ideas to grow you know is there like a scarcity is it kind of is it low range so to speak while there is there is is the pool of available reviewers quite high i'm not necessarily too sure whether that's even something that's kind of perhaps even uncouth to ask an editor of a journal to ask you know how many people do you have you know available in a variety of different disciplines to potentially answer the call if a call is made mm -hmm. um so i always wondered whether that was the hinge you know for these delays that i experienced and i think a lot of academic uh, academics experience um as just a, a question of availability um that's really interesting i was i was, I was talking to the editor of the journal recently and, and i was saying you know we're a small journal so we have a <coughs> relatively small pool that grows <laughs> get pool absolutely the water metaphor continues but you know when we have certain corpus of, of articles and certainly for special issues we grow that pool immensely i mean i think we have the finest collection of cannibalism um, reviewers in the world now on our books because we had a cannibalism <laughs> special issue that had 30 papers to it and we approached a lot of different people um but and i was saying to them saying no, but i always have this perception i'm a small journal you know we never have you know we're never going to have enough i'm always trying to find new people and this, oh no it's for us exactly the same we're a much bigger journal we're a you know higher you know, impact a journal impact factor journal and we are still scrabbling around to find the right reviewers enough reviewers so i think it is perhaps a little endemic from that very narrow unscientific sample of two but it's certainly my own experience it's it's challenging finding finding reviews and i think the putting in the interdisciplinary aspect of it makes it even more challenging because you start to take people out who do just discreetly identify perhaps a little bit more with their discipline than their broader shall we say discipline and listeners will not be able to see my expansive hand gestures i was doing there i'm so sorry sometimes the medium of the podcast does let you down <laughs> i mean in terms of integration i, I realized i didn't answer the back end of that I find that you know the my approach to integrating a variety of different types of sort of sets of knowledge, if we could put it that way, um, the way in which they overlap, you know, the way they vend themselves out, kind of it depends really on the task or on the topic or on what kind of what what the CFP I'm responding to is. Um, I find that there's in, uh, instances where in which the it, we could call it an integration factor is quite high, that there's a lot of room for you to kind of play around with as many things as you can. Uh, obviously, you know, there's rigor brought to bear here in assessing the quality and the merits of the actual argument, how it's formulated, how it's supported and so forth. But you just and it might be kind of idiosyncratic or esoteric. I just get a feel for how expansive that may or may not be. So knowing the kind of, I, I appreciate when uh, editorials at some stage, preferably earlier on, indicate quite clearly in concrete ways what that limit is. So, you know, what the sort of integration factor that they would permit it is. Um, so I always try and, you know, base how I try and put things together or bring things sort of, you know, intention with one another, because I think that's typically my approach. It's, it's a holdover from the way that I was trained, but that can blow up in your face. It's kind of an acne box in a weird way. Um, but if if I feel that there's more room to sort of stand further away from a potential explosion, I feel more comfortable, you know, <laughs> making the attempt. Sharon Lena, I'm, 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 I'm just give you an opportunity because I'm some I just talk for a few moments. Any thoughts yourselves on any of this? Yeah, I, I'm in full wily e. coyote territory there. I've just got permission <laughs> of, you know, exploding typewriters and dynamite and goodness knows what. I think 
with so like for me i think it, i'll come back to that sort of idea of dabbling again it, it even my phd i started out with this really specific kind of concept we all do um that it would be this thing and i would be looking at these things and i ended up looking at goodness knows how many things that would were, were associated but took me in such a lot of different kind of directions and i think that in integration element is really important and i think it's sort of something where you do start looking at a variety of different approaches and it doesn't even mean that you're attempting to be uh, interdisciplinary in your initial like dive into the subject so whatever it might be i'll, I'll telefantasy I'll, I'll use telefantasy because it's something i write about but but then i so I've, I've recently ended up getting into the morality of telefantasy so that's ta that's taken me down roots of christian thinking jewish thinking like all of these sort of approaches to what is morality and how do we explore so that that integration thing i think it's very much where your reading or your kind of approach or suddenly what what like you were saying quasi what like suddenly sparks and you go oh, that thing and i'm gonna look at this thing because actually that's really important to me explaining why i'm bothered about whether it's okay to kill zombies so i'm gonna actually <laughs> a conversation we've all had with ourselves at any given time in our existence um but but then i'll have a look at that and i, I so i've got quite into the morality of of how we use these systems and so now i'm looking at the morality of of our choices when we look at video game and so if we think about you know expanded narratives in video game the there's a lot of moral questions within that that will probably take me yet again into sort of a dive into morality and the teachings about morality and where we bring these concepts of morality from. So integrating that in a, an approachable and accessible way that supports what I'm trying to say and, and gives reason to my exploration of this topic in relation to, you know, killing zombies in Resident Evil 4 is is sort of something where it's really important because you have to contextualize everything and it's sort of something I'm sure everyone talks about this just because there isn't something directly linked to the thing that you're looking at does not mean that you cannot read around the subject and and fold in these concepts to support your own your own learning and development and those things so for me integration is very much that origami folding that bringing together of different concepts and using them to support what you're doing but also give context and direction to what you're trying to unpack i'll use the word unpack within your research so for me that's really important yeah i also um kind of agree with sharon and when i do research i I tend to fall into research holes and read for days on end <laughs> and end up in a place i didn't really expect to end up and um, well, in the end, only a very small fraction of what I've read actually makes it into the publication I'm working on at that moment. But the stuff I've read kind of keeps popping up later when I'm working on different issues. So it's, I, I never think of it as time wasted. I always think of it as, as an investment in my future um, activities. Because uh, I, don't know, I mean, once, you, once you've learned and known something, you can't really unknow it, right? it just keeps getting stuck in your head and then it also shapes mm -hmm. how you approach mm -hmm. your future activities so um yeah that's that's me a nerd who likes reading and learning <laughs> fancy that with the academic community so true i'm sure of all of us here 
well folks we've nearly come to the end of our allotted time and i'm i'm loathe to cut down this conversation because this is absolutely fascinating and i hope our listeners have enjoyed it as well but i I did promise that you know we always like to finish the exchanges podcast with a little bit of practical advice so i'm just going to go around each of you and say you know briefly you know particularly for someone who is perhaps approaching their first article for an interdisciplinary journal that may or may not be exchanges there are other journals out there i understand you know, what would the, the one bit of advice you'd like to give them, that first time author of something for that broader, wider, interdisciplinary audience? You are, what would my advice be? Because I fell into interdisciplinary kind of by accident because I like lots of things. I think the the main advice would be, as, as Elena said, like we all like reading and learning. And to support your research, into areas with which you're not maybe as familiar or as confident it is okay to read and to learn and to integrate into your own work and that's really it's really important not to be scared or put off because you're not an expert in whatever it might be you're already an expert in your field and in your your concepts but it's okay to kind of move into something else and take from it thank you that's mine I could uh, just kind of, I guess, dovetail off of this um, idea that Sharon's put forward about, in in a, in a certain respect, and and I mean this, but yeah, I guess both sentimentally and quite pragmatically, you know, be brave. I think courage is is. I think one should try to have. Uh, there's two points. The first is that you know try and have the courage enough to follow your own intuitions. They'll take you all sorts of places. In my belief is that the nature of nature is, is fecund. There's it's 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 exorbitant. You know, there's there's so much. It's so excessive. There's so many different things to know in so many different ways. And if you have the courage to follow your intuitions, you'll journey around and make discoveries, uh, make connections. But it, I think it requires this underpinning, this central courage to kind of allow it to go where it goes um, and not be necessarily too hung up on trying to curtail those those rovings, so to speak. Uh, yeah. And the other thing is to obviously keep your notes. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's not it, it's, it's not too it's, many. <laughs> yeah, not too many. I mean, ultimately, you'll, you'll, you'll develop your own sort of referential thesaurus of knowledge, but it'll refer you to other things and previous intuitions or different shapes or contours of something that's evolved and changed over time. And having a record of that in some form, my notes are horribly illegible, but I try. It was something that one of my mentors always kind of said to me, just keep your notes. You might not use it now, but it'll be relevant at some point or other, and you can still understand how your ideas and thinking about a particular thing have changed. So my advice is a bit different, but my advice would be talk to people, communicate, um, seek feedback, seek seek advice. Um, I know that uh, when we did our Anthropocene workshop um, on publishing, Gaz said that we could always email him, ask him if we have an idea for an article, whether that idea for an article would actually be um, a good fit for exchanges or not. And um, yeah, my advice would be to talk to people, talk to people from dis- different disciplines, see what they think, um, to just get a, another person's perspective before you put a lot of effort into your draft and send it somewhere where it might not be a good fit. Um, just to build on that, I think for me, um, doing interdisciplinary work always challenges my sense of self, and I suppose in quite a practical way. Um, because in a sense, like reflecting on that, without the aid, uh, in a sense, or less aid from the supported infrastructure of a discipline, and um, whenever you're roving across 
boundaries and ideas somehow it just feels perhaps a bit more personal than some other contexts and really challenges you to to start to really clarify who you are as a thinker and who you're going to be as a thinker um, combined so um yeah like like uh, quasi was saying be brave and um it'll help you help you define your life and transform your education in the practical sense well, fantastic. And that's a great note to end on. I'd just like to thank all four of my um, guests today. Um, Elena, Sharon, Kwasu and Hoai. You have been fabulous. This conversation has been even more engaging than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I'm sure you will all have lots to talk about after today. Thank you so much. Great to meet you all. Thank, thank you, you so much. Fantastic. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Well, I'm so grateful for all my guests. Thank you so much um, for their contributions. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. It was very much a uh, good fun to record as much as I hope it has been to listen as well. Until next time, I have been your host for this Exchanges Discourse podcast. And obviously, if you want to get in touch with us at the journal to talk about a publication, you can find us, well, you can find us on Twitter, you can find us on Mastodon. You can also find us by emailing exchangesjournal at warwick.ac.uk. Thank you for listening, and please do not forget to like, share, and subscribe to make sure you catch every forthcoming episode of the Exchanges Discourse podcast. Music